0: And we pray that you would speak to our hearts through them tonight. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand them for each of us, Lord, and His help to be able to explain them clearly for myself. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please would you turn with me to the book of Leviticus in the Bible? It's the third book in from the front, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Now, to explain the book of Leviticus, um, the clue is in the name uh, Levi. All right. The tribe of Levi was the tribe of the priests in the Bible. And the book of Leviticus is the instructions to the priests. And it gives the sort of uh, uh, the ceremonial uh, practice of the Jewish people. And it was a part of God's law that he gave to Moses. To give to the children of Israel. And the bit we're looking at tonight. Is Leviticus chapter 23. Now it's a long chapter. But I don't want you to worry. Okay. (laughs) Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Saying. Speak to the children of Israel. And say to them. The feasts. Of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And we'll leave it there just for the moment. Now, I wonder whether or not you're a, a calendar person. I'm a calendar person. Some people these days use their phones more, don't they? And uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm a different generation. But I like a calendar, and I've got calendars everywhere in my house. Um, calendars I love just for the pictures. Calendars for uh, recording things that I look at every year as it comes around. I record the weather and things like that. I'm a bit old like that. Uh, but it's, it, it, I love calendars. But even I wouldn't pay for a calendar like this. In fact, I wouldn't buy this particular calendar at all. It's a calendar uh, of the dress costumes of Alice in Wonderland. And in 2011, at an auction in Edinburgh, it was sold for £36,000. What a, what a, to a collector, a private collector who wanted to remain anonymous. And as such, it is the most expensive calendar that has ever been made and sold. Well, I want to share with you tonight not the most expensive, but the most valuable Calendar, And it's God's calendar, the calendar that he gave Moses in the law in the Old Testament. And it was a calendar, not of day by day, but of events through the year that he wanted the people of Israel to celebrate every year. And it was a calendar of feasts. You know, we have Christmas and we have Easter. Uh, Well, the Jewish people had feasts through the whole year. They didn't just have one or two. They actually had seven feasts of the Lord. Now, they had other feasts as well, which were their own making. And these are called the feasts of the Jews. And you read about that actually in John's gospel says in John chapter five. Now, there was a feast of the Jews, which is probably either the feast of Esther Um, Or the feast of Hanukkah, because both of those were appointed and created by men in remembrance of things that God had uh, uh, done for the people of Israel. But this is called the feasts of the Lord. The feasts of the Lord. These are feasts that God appointed. And these feasts were given to the children of Israel to come up through the year in their calendar. Now, they had a, a weekly feast in the Sabbath. They had a, 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 every six uh, days uh, the work came to an end. On the seventh day, they had a Sabbath in verse uh, three there. And that was to be a special holy convocation, a special day for the Jewish people to remember and worship. But this wasn't... Uh, going to be uh, like a weekly thing this was going to be things that were going to come up throughout the year and God is saying just as you have a weekly festival I want to give you some annual ones as well there's seven annual feasts here in this passage of scripture and I want us to have a look at these tonight um, these seven feasts because these feasts are a beautiful message about Our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the book of Colossians, uh, and we we, we see actually, sorry, I'm I'm just going from memory here tonight. Uh, We have the feasts in two halves. There are the first four feasts, which are in the spring. Uh, In in the time that we're now in, really, around Easter. And then the last three feasts are the autumn feasts. So there are four feasts and three feasts, but they're they're divided like that throughout the calendar. And there's a four-month period in between Pentecost and Trumpets in the middle. But in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us something very important about these feasts. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And what he's telling us is these feasts, they they all all had a message in themselves. They were all a shadow, though, but the reality is the Lord Jesus. Uh, I used to explain this to our youth club by using a Mars bar, a chocolate bar, uh, and an overhead projector projector at the back of the church we've got an overhead projector still and uh, I would often put the Mars bar on top of the overhead projector and you'd have a huge shadow of a Mars bar up on the wall and I would say to the youth club now which would you rather have the shadow or would you rather have the Mars bar and I never had anybody say I'd rather have the shadow the shadow was big and it was impressive it made a nice shadow but the Mars bar that was even better Of course. Well, this is what Paul is saying. These feasts, they were a shadow of things to come and the shadow is beautiful. But the reality is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to get as we study it. We've got to get to the reality, because what we have in Christ, our saviour, the Lord Jesus, God's son, is so much more wonderful And uh, each of these feasts points us in a wonderful way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these feasts were actually originally given to look back as well as to look forward. The children of Israel had just come out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for over 400 years and Pharaoh had had killed them and worked uh, killed their babies and he'd worked them uh, in in his iron mines and all sorts of things and they were making bricks but God did a series of miracles and brought them out and we have the exodus. If you've ever seen the film the prince of Egypt you know that story and if you haven't seen it Go and go and watch it when you get home. It's a great film. But it'll tell you the story of what happens in the book of Exodus, how God brought the children of Israel out from slavery. So these feasts look back to that, but they're also looking forward. And it's interesting, the word that's used here, uh, I understand from the Hebrew that the word that's used here for for the feast is a word that means a rehearsal a dress rehearsal you know every year we have a nativity play at Christmas here and the children put on an absolutely wonderful priceless nativity play but the week before Sarah and the team get them here for a dress rehearsal to go through it so they're ready for the big day well this is what God is doing in these feasts he's not only looking back in the past remembering the things that he'd done in the past but he's also giving a dress rehearsal for what's going to come in the future what his son the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do and I want to share them with you tonight because they give us God's program for history and that's a wonderful thing for us to know you know when you know God's calendar you know what God is doing in the world and that's what we all need to know what is God doing in the world what's God what's God up to and when we know this calendar we'll know we'll see what's going on But more than that, we'll know what we should be doing in the world as well. Because when you know what God is doing, then you know what you should be doing as well. So let's learn from these feasts tonight and have a look through each of these seven feasts. At least we'll touch on them as best we can to try and give the message of them. And the first feast is the Feast of Passover, which was the feast that started the year. Uh, In verse 5... The Lord said this, he said, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Now, Passover, you will remember, was when the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were slaves. And, it, and God sent lots of different plagues on Egypt. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And God said he was going to send his angel through the angel of death through Egypt. And he was going to kill all the firstborn sons in every family. Now, I've got a son and that would have meant that my son Samuel would have died as uh, under God's angel coming through. But God said there would be one way they could be saved. That was if they killed a lamb in its place and the lamb died as a substitute for the people in the house and they would then take the blood of the lamb and put the, la- the blood on the doorposts and it's really interesting how God said to do it he said to take the blood and with a hyssop punch to brush it up and brush it across now what shape is that up and across it's the shape of a cross isn't it That's what this is a picture of. And Paul said about the Lord Jesus Christ, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. Can you see it was looking back to what God did in Egypt, but it was also looking forward to what God was going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for your sins and mine. He was going to come and take the judgment of God on the cross for you and me as our substitute. So if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will say, I'll look on the blood and I'll pass over you. I won't judge you. I won't judge you on the day of judgment. You'll be forgiven. You'll be able to go into heaven because Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for you. And that's why it always begins with the blood. You know, this is why this whole calendar had to begin with Passover. Because God was saying before anything else, this matters. This matters, number one, for you. And it matters, number one, for every person in this room and every person watching on Zoom tonight, that you be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross you know the Lord Jesus Christ was a wonderful teacher but we're not saved by his teaching the Lord Jesus Christ was a wonderful example he lived a sinless life but we're not saved by his example we're saved by his death on the cross and you need to put your trust in his death For you, as a substitute for you. So we see Christ fulfilled the first of the feast. He is the Passover, and the Bible specifically says that. And by the way, when did Jesus die? When does Easter fall? At Passover. Christ died at Passover on this feast. So you see, it was going according to a plan. Let's come to the next feast. The next feast is the feast of unleavened bread and uh, we read this in verse 6 it says and on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord seven days you must eat unleavened bread on the first day you shall have a holy convocation you shall do no customary work on it but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days the seventh day shall be a custom shall be a holy convocation You shall do no customary work on it. So after Passover, the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these two feasts go together very much like for us in the West. We have Christmas Day and Boxing Day. They go together. And often we we couple them together under one heading, don't we? Uh, I might say to somebody, did you have a good Christmas? And what I mean by that is... Not just Christmas Day, but, you know, Christmas Day right the way through to New Year. Did you have a good time, uh, a nice time? Well, this is how the Jewish people would talk about it. They would often talk about it either as unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Passover. Did you have a good Passover? And these feasts went together. And it was a week-long feast, actually, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But it began on the 15th day of the first month now the unleavened bread was uh, where they had to eat special bread bread that had no yeast in it that's what leaven is leaven is yeast and of course you know you put yeast in in bread to make it rise don't you Uh, but when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God was going to bring them out suddenly in the middle of the night After the Passover, after the angel had passed over, God said, you're not going to have time to cook. So make unleavened bread. It won't take long to rise. You'll have some food and it'll be ready and you'll be ready to go at a moment's notice. And so they had to make this unleavened bread. And this is what they used to eat every year at the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. Now, leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. Paul talked to the Galatians about the yeast of false doctrine that was spreading through the church in Galatia. And he said a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough. Once someone starts spreading around this false teaching, oh, it'll spread on everywhere, Paul's saying. And uh, that was a picture of it. In other places, yeast is a picture of sin and bad behaviour. But you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ had no false doctrine and he had no sin in him. And he was the sinless son of God. And he himself was like the unleavened bread. And actually the bread is a picture of his body. Now that's a picture of the unleavened bread that you can buy in the shops today. The Jewish people call it matzah And uh, I think we might even have some in the cupboard here, actually. If you want to have a look uh, after the service, we'll have a look, see if we have got some, and you can handle some. It's a bit like water crackers. Um, But what you'll notice is it's got lines across it because it's cooked on a griddle. It's got stripes across it, and it's got holes all the way through it. It is pierced, and it's striped. Does that remind you of anything? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible tells us with his stripes we are healed and he was pierced for our transgressions when he died on the cross. This is a picture of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and you know what at Passover one of the things they do is they have three pieces of unleavened bread in a special white pouch on the table and The middle one, nobody knows why they do it in the Jewish customs, but we Christians know why they do it. On the table, what they do is they take the middle piece of unleavened bread, they take it out of the pouch, they wrap it in a napkin, and they go and hide it somewhere to be found later on. Does that sound like the body of the Lord Jesus being taken, wrapped in the linen cloth, and put aside to be found later on? Yeah, it does and we're going to see what happens to that so it is a picture of the lord jesus christ Uh, but the sinless the sin aspect of it is something that's very important to grasp one of the um, things that the jewish people to do in their customs uh, since bible times actually is they light a lamp god said here in the instructions in the law of moses that they would have no yeast in their house no and you'll find this in the book of exodus as well they'd have no yeast in their house so what they do is they They light a lamp and today Jewish customers to use a feather or a brush and they go through the whole house looking for any yeast. And sometimes mum will accidentally drop a bit on purpose just so dad and the kids have got a, a bit to find to get rid of out of the house so they can show that they've done it. But this is a way of cleaning out their house of yeast out of out of sin Uh, as it were, in obedience to the command. Now, in the New Testament, Paul said this in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 5. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven or yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Can you see how this is a picture fulfilled in Christ? And just as Jesus lived a sinless life, when we become Christians... We strive to be like Jesus. Now, we're never going to do it perfectly because he was the son of God and we're not. But we strive to get rid of sin out of our lives and we strive to get rid of the yeast out of our lives as well. So unleavened bread is the second feast, which points to the the body and burial of Jesus, just as the cross pointed uh, Passover pointed to the cross. The third feast is the feast of first fruits and this is spoken of in verses uh, 9 through to 14. In verse 9 it says and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. You shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, the Feast of first fruits was a harvest uh, feast. And it was actually in the same period of time as Passover and Unleavened Bread. Because it came on the, the day after the Sabbath. Uh, By the way, what is the day after the Sabbath? Sunday. Today is the day after the Jewish Sabbath, the first day of the week. The day Jesus rose from the dead. Remember that. Because you see, what the priest does is he goes at at this time out to the field and he takes a a band of, uh, of, of ribbon and he ties it around a piece of a a load of corn and it's the first bit of the harvest nobody has harvested anything yet but when it's harvest time he he takes it out and he goes out and he puts it around the crop and he then gets his sickle and he cuts it this is the first cut of the harvest it's the first fruits And he then brings it back to the temple and they actually had um, a special field for them to do this near to the temple so that they could keep within walking distance. And he will bring it back to the temple and he will raise it up like this. He'll do this with it. It's called a wave offering. Now he won't go down. It'll go up because it's rising. And he's saying this is offered to God. This is the first of the harvest. Before we have any, we want to offer it back to you and say, thank you, God, for what you've done for us. But can you see what a picture that is of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first of those who were going to rise with a new body, never to die again. And when a Christian dies, one day in the future, we know he's going to be raised again to go to heaven. And he's going to be one day raised in a new body, just like Jesus was. So he is the first fruits of the harvest. What a beautiful picture that is. And when did Jesus rise on the feast of first fruits. He died at Passover, he was buried at unleavened bread and in the tomb, and he rose at the feast of first fruits. And Paul's saying Jesus fulfilled all these feasts. What's the next feast? The next feast is the feast of Pentecost, uh, because the word Pente means fifty, and you'll notice in verse fifteen He says, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So seven times seven is 49. And then it's the next day. He says, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an effort. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. So 50 days after they come to the temple again and they offer not grain this time, but they offer two loaves of bread and they offer these in the same way before god and the priest offers them up 50 days on in fact they have a very precise way of counting it now you know what it's like with kids at christmas what do they have to help them count down for christmas they have an advent calendar don't they and uh, the teachers dread it because every day the kids are coming in they've had chocolate before they've even got to school you know so they're all sugared up ready for the day but uh, in this, what they do is they do something called counting the omer, And uh, they have a it's, a, it's a very clever system where they have an oma uh, full of um, grain. And they, one scoop a day, one scoop a day, one scoop a day, until 50 days it's all gone. This is how they count out the omer, And by doing this, they count down with a calendar format until the day of Pentecost, And when that day has come, then they go to the temple and they offer these two loaves of bread. Now, you don't need me to tell you if you're a Christian that 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, something really wonderful happened. The church of Jesus Christ was born in the temple where they were offering the loaves of bread and the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 when the day of Pentecost had fully come when they'd reached the 50th day of the Omer, when they'd counted through the calendar of those 50 days on that day on the exact day the Holy Spirit came from heaven and the disciples were filled and it was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ when did it happen? on the day. And now Jew and Gentile together, like those two loaves, are one people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're brought together in him. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? God was working to a program and those are the spring feasts the ones that come in the earlier part of the year then we come to the autumn feasts and we now come to the seventh month of the year which is around our september to october time on our calendar and the next feast is the feast of trumpets and we see this in verse 23 he says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, what the Jewish people do on this day uh, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, is they begin a feast of trumpet blowing. Now, I've got to be honest with you, trumpet isn't my favourite instrument. I like guitars, OK? Uh, but this is, a, uh, this is a trumpet that is a different to the sort of brass band trumpet. What we're talking about is the shofar, the Jewish shofar. And uh, it's a, a sort of sound. And the idea is... That they blow a hundred trumpets during this time, And on the last day of the feast, uh, in this period of time, they blow one called the Tehia Gedalah," which means the last trump." And it's the longest and loudest trumpet of all. Now what is the trumpets a picture of for us as Christians? Well, what's the next event on God's calendar for the, after the day of Pentecost? The next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church when the Lord Jesus is going to come from heaven to take his people out of the world and take them back to heaven like he said he would. And Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. He said, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first he says and so will we and we'll meet the Lord in the air and he'll take us back to heaven and in 1 Corinthians 15 it says at the last trumpet we shall all be changed our bodies will be renewed and we'll go back to heaven it's a wonderful thing the rapture of the church and it will be at the trumpets you see God is working to a program and that's the next thing we're waiting for the sound of the trumpet by the way there was a famous preacher in this country a great revival preacher by the name of george whitfield and he was so passionate about winning souls to the lord sometimes he uh, he might have done things that maybe uh, were a little bit naughty but he did them with the best intentions and on one occasion he was preaching in a big open air place and he had a large lot i mean he used to draw thousands of people and he said to a man i want you to go on the other side of a hill with a trumpet and uh, about halfway through my sermon i want you to blow this trumpet as loud as you can And he was preaching that day on the Lord's coming and he heard the sound of the trumpet. So did all the people. And he said, no, no, not now, not now, Gabriel, wait, these people aren't saved. They're not ready yet. Now, maybe that was a bit naughty, but I do agree with him on one thing. He wanted them all to realize it was a reality. It wasn't just a sort of made up fiction that one day, you know, fairy tale stories it might happen. One day it really is going to happen. The Lord will sound his trumpet from heaven and come for his people. And we need to be ready. So if you don't know the Lord, please do turn to him even tonight by putting your trust in him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So that's the next next feast. The feast after that is called the Day of Atonement. Uh, If you look in verse 26 it says and the Lord spoke to Moses saying also the 10th day of this 7th month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall what's the next word afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord come down to verse 29. But any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Come down to verse 32. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict your souls. Now the Day of Atonement which is also called Yom Kippur. You might have heard the Jewish people talk about this. And there was a famous war back in 1973 in Israel called the Yom Kippur War because it actually started on this day, which was actually what happened again in, uh, in October last year uh, with that war starting. But we won't get into that. But the, the Day of Atonement uh, is a day which is not really a feast. It's a fast they don't eat any food on this day and they humble themselves before god and that's what it means when they it says afflict your souls they they afflict themselves in the sense that they they humble themselves under god And they starve themselves of food and they're coming to God and they're nationally asking God for forgiveness for their sins. They're repenting uh, and it's a great day of repentance. In fact, to the Jewish people, they call this the holiest day of their year, the holiest day on their calendar, the, the day of atonement. But it is a time of affliction and at the end of it, Uh, They have repented. Well, this is prophetic of the next event on God's calendar, which comes after the trumpet, after the rapture. What comes after the rapture? Well, we've been learning in our studies that after after the rapture of the church is going to come the tribulation, the time of great trouble on the earth. And the time of tribulation, the great trouble coming on the earth, which is going to last for seven years, is a time where God is especially getting through to the Jewish people who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ to bring them back to himself. And it's called in scripture prophetically the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30 says this in verse seven. Alas, for that day is great. So that there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. That's the good news. And the tribulation when it comes is going to be a time of terrible, terrible trouble. And especially so for the Jewish people. You know the Jewish people have suffered so much. Their holocaust they had in the days of Hitler was terrible. But I'm sorry to tell you that suffering isn't over. And there will be more to come in the tribulation. It's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble, but they shall be saved out of it. God will bring them to repentance like the day of atonement and they will turn back to him. And this is actually what Peter said the Jewish people need to do for the Lord Jesus to come back. I don't know if you know this, but the key event, the trigger event for the second coming of Christ is the repentance of the Jewish nation. In Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Peter was speaking to the Jewish leaders and the people, and he said, repent therefore and be converted. That's a good message for everyone. Repent therefore and be converted, that he, that's God, may send Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive until the restoration. And when the Jewish people look on him whom they pierced, as it says in Zechariah 12, and repent of their sin, then God will send them the Messiah. And the second coming will happen. And it will be the end of their time of affliction. And that will bring us then to the seventh feast, which is the feast of tabernacles which is also in the seventh month verse 33 then the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the children of israel saying the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the lord now the feast of tabernacles was the feast at the end of their calendar And it was another seven-day, another week-long feast. It's interesting, it begins with a week-long feast with Passover and unleavened bread, and it ends with a week-long feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, we won't go into all the details about what they have to do, but one of the notable things we're told they have to do in verse 40 is they have to gather branches for trees. It says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day, The fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And uh, in verse 42, he says, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. And one of the things the Jewish people do at this feast, which is why it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, is they make these booths, these What they call tabernacles. This is a a booth, a sukkah, as they call it in Hebrew. Um, And it's basically like a a, a gazebo type thing. But they take all those leafy branches and all those fruitful branches and they lay them across the top. Uh, But they have to lay it in such a way that they can still see the stars through the gaps so that they remember that they came out of Egypt and they didn't have any houses to live in anymore. And they lived in tents and, and Little shacks they made as they travelled through the wilderness, and God looked after them. God provided for them and helped them on their journey. And God said, "I want you to remember that this is what I did for you, and this is what this feast is." And if you read in Nehemiah chapter eight, when they came back into the land in the days of Nehemiah, this was one of the great things they did. They, they made these booths and they celebrated this feast. But this feast became a picture of the kingdom of God. Under the Messiah. And it became a symbolic way of of talking about the kingdom. And this is why. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus went up the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and he was transformed, transfigured before their eyes? And Peter, James and John were there with him on the mountain and they saw Moses and Elijah with him. And they said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And he said, let us make three shelters, says the NIV, booths, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, why was he saying that? Because he saw the Lord Jesus in all his glory and he thought, this is it. The kingdom has come. And he said about the booze because the Jewish people associate it with the kingdom. Well, the kingdom hadn't come, but they had a little taste of it. Peter got that message later on. But this is what it came to symbolize. It comes to symbolize the kingdom. And how interesting that when we get to the other end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and we read about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. And Zechariah tells us we'll celebrate the feast of tabernacles in then that after the thousand years, we'll go into the new creation. And what does it say? And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and we're going to live with God in his tabernacle, in his booth. That's what it means. We're going to have our dwelling with God. So it's a wonderful thing. And that's what this last feast symbolizes, the kingdom on into eternity. So what an amazing calendar that is. And how those feasts are fulfilled, each one, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first four are fulfilled in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection and sending of the Holy Spirit to the church. And the last three will be fulfilled in the events of his second coming. The rapture of the church, the Jews going through the tribulation and the kingdom afterwards. This is how they will be fulfilled. And what we see here is a beautiful outline of God's program. Now, friends, you know what's going to happen in the future. God has told you you can go out of here tonight and say I know what's going to happen in the future I may not know everything that's going to happen tomorrow morning but I know God's big events what he's planning on doing and you have a plan laid out in your mind with these feasts what a wonderful thing to have this calendar by the way what happened between the first four feasts and the last three feasts there were four months in the gap what happened Do you know what happens in that gap? It's the harvest. It's the harvest. If you just turn back a page and go back to uh, verse 22, he says, after Pentecost, he says, verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap Nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God was uh, giving laws because for the harvest that was going to happen in between. They had a a wheat harvest, a barley harvest, and then the fruit harvest later on in the year. But this was the main harvest in between those four four months. And do you remember even the Lord Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 4, Are there not four more months to harvest? It was in that in-between time. And that's where we are today, Christians. That's where we are. We've had Pentecost and we're waiting for the sound of the trumpet and God is gathering in his harvest. A harvest of souls, men and women, who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be about our father's business, helping gather in the harvest, leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you know what God is doing, you know what we should be doing as well. And may the Lord help us to be able to do that. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to put one extra special day on your calendar. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Come to the Lord today, put your trust in him and let it be a marked day for now and eternity.